So glad you are here with us today, whether you're here in person or here online. We're always glad that you could take the time to join us for our Sunday service. And if you happen to be new or visiting, my name is Don. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. And uh, as James mentioned, uh, through this month, we've been going through uh, sort of our above and beyond giving campaign process. And so this morning, I want to take a little bit of a break from our Genesis series just for this week and talk a little bit about the area of giving. And uh, the passage that I want to use today is uh, 1 Chronicles 29, verses 1 through 18. So if you want to turn there, we'll have the verses up on the screen. And the title of the message today is just Giving with Eyes of Faith. And so let me ask you, when you encounter a some situation, whether it's something like the Above and Beyond campaign or, or some other situation where there is a call for you to give, what is the initial response in your heart? I mean, would you describe it as joy? Well, probably if we're honest, the words giving and joy wouldn't really seem to fit together in the same sentence in the way most of us would think. And really, I think for many Christians, working through how to relate to the area of giving can really be one of the most challenging and difficult things that we wrestle with in our Christian lives. I mean, whether it's giving to support the ongoing ministry of your local church or giving to something like this Above and Beyond campaign or giving to some other ministry cause, there's just something about money and possessions that can get a grip on our hearts and lives in a way that can make giving just a real struggle. Because you see, how we use our financial resources really reveals our hearts, what we love, what we trust in to keep us secure, what we invest our lives into. And how we relate to the area of giving in our lives, it really says a lot about our faith and trust in God. You see, God desires our giving to his purposes and work to be a work of faith in our lives. Because if we're realistic, I mean, let's think about it. God really doesn't need our money. (laughs) I mean, think about it. God, God created the universe and all the wealth and riches it contains by speaking words. And I don't think he's fretting over whether we're giving him access to our finances or not. But he does want our hearts to trust and rely on him in faith. And so giving is one way we show the reality of that trust and faith. And so that's why he doesn't just call us to give, but to give willingly and joyfully. The Apostle Paul tells us that in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, where he says this. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a joyful giver. 
And so when it comes to giving, God wants us to see with eyes of faith. He knows that how we use our finances is a window into what we put our trust and faith in in our lives. And so as a church family, we are in the midst of what we believe will be our final above and beyond giving campaign as we move towards the finish line of paying off our building mortgage. And so we've been asking everyone who's a part of this church family, if you call this church your home church, just to pray and to seek God as to how he might have you partner with us uh, in this work by making a pledge or giving over this final campaign year. So this morning, as we are in the midst of wrestling through how God might have us respond to this year's campaign, I just want to bring a little bit of biblical perspective on this area that I hope might be helpful and encouraging to you as you do that. And so the big idea for the message today is really simply this. A heart that gives with joy requires eyes that see with faith. A heart that gives with joy requires eyes that see with faith. And so in our text for today, in 1 Chronicles 29, 1 through 18, we find King David and the Israelites, and they're involved in their own building campaign. And this was the building campaign for the great temple that would be built by Solomon. And they were facing the challenge to provide the vast resources that would be required to complete this massive work. And while the Grace Community Above and Beyond Giving campaign wouldn't begin to compare to the building of the temple, the Israelites really faced the same challenges in giving to that building project as we do with this one. And so their example in that situation can be helpful to us. It can serve to help us understand what seeing with eyes of faith looks like when it comes to giving. So that by God's grace, we might see with eyes of faith as we consider this issue of giving in general, as well as how God might want us to respond to this year's campaign. So before we look at this passage, let's just take a moment and pray and ask God's help this morning. Lord, as we come to you this morning, Lord, I know that your desire is for our hearts that we would trust you, that we would find our security in you, Lord, that you would be our treasure. And Lord, I understand that this area of giving, it's just a window into those realities. And so, Lord, I ask this morning that you might bless your word, Lord, for the good of your people, for the glory of your name, Lord. You have been faithful to us as a church through all these years, and I have no doubt you will continue to be. But Lord, I pray for the good of each one here, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts about this area, Lord, that they would Lord, just uh, respond in a way that would be for their good and your glory. And I just ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Chronicles 29, 1 through 18, it's a bit of a long passage, but I think it might be helpful just to read through it together and just get a feel for the bigger picture of what's going on. 
So as we come to this chapter, David is addressing the Israelites regarding this future building of the temple. So picking up in verse 1, it says, And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. Three thousand talents of gold of the gold of Ophir, and seven thousand talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house. And for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Who then will willingly, consecrating himself today, I'm sorry, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of fathers' houses made their free will offerings as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord, in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own hand we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here 
offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. So in this passage, I think there are at least three things we want to look at that can help us understand what it means to see with eyes of faith in the area of giving. And the first one is, faith sees God's work, not man's. You see, David doesn't see this building project as something that he's trying to accomplish. He sees it as something God is doing. This is not man's plan. This is God's plan. This is not something man has decided to do. This is God's work and his purpose to build this temple. If we were to go back to chapter 28, in chapter 28, David gathers the people together and tells them all that has happened to lead up to this so that they will understand that building this temple is a work of God and not of man. And see, David has testimonies of how God has spoken to him and shown him that this is God's purpose and plan. If we go back to chapter 28 in verse 6, he describes how God spoke to him. He says in that verse, he said to me, it is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. And then in verses 11 through 18 of that chapter, God tells him all the details about exactly how the temple is to be built and all the rooms and things that are to go in it. He gives him extremely detailed instructions. And so when we get to the end of chapter 28, after that, David says this, says talking about God speaking to him, he says, all this he made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord, all the work to be done according to the plan. And then David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. You see, God has shown David that this is about God's purpose. God's plan. It isn't about David or the people and what they want to do. See, David wants the people to know this so they can see this work of providing for the building of the temple through eyes of faith. So they can know that God has called them to this work. And so in chapter 29, in verse 5, after David describes his own personal response of what he's given, not only from the treasuries of Israel, but from his own personal wealth, he says this to them. He says, who then will offer willingly consecrating himself today to the Lord? You see, because... Building this temple is a work God has called them to. David calls them to give as an act of consecration 
to the Lord. And this word consecration, it's the same word that is used related to the ordaining of the priests in Israel. It just has the idea of offering or giving oneself to the service or work of the Lord. See, David wants them to see that this is God's work. And so here at Grace Community, we must ask ourselves the same question. This local church, this building and the ministry that takes place in it, whose work is this? Is it for us? Or is it for the Lord? Is our building a church on this property in the Kingsville community our idea? Or is it God's plan? Is this above and beyond giving campaign? Is it our work? Something we want to do as pastors or leaders? Or is it God's work? I mean, do we have testimonies to demonstrate to us that this is God's work, so we might see this with eyes of faith? I think the answer to that question is without a doubt, yes. I mean, if you've been around Grace Community for a few years, you've probably heard us share some of the stories at various times about how we came to be here. How when we first began to sort of think about looking for a place, a piece of land where we might build a church and a realtor came to one of the pastors and said, there's this piece of land on Bel Air Road. And even though we had never seen it, never visited it, right then and there, God spoke and put an impression on that pastor's heart that this was where we were going to be before we'd ever seen the land. Or maybe you've heard how when a time came and we were scrambling together to gather the resources to be able to, to make an offer on this piece of property when it did become available. And so we finally were able to put in a bid for 300000 to buy this land. But at the, almost the same time, another developer put in a bid for 350000 to buy this land. And the owner accepted our bid rather than the one for $50,000 more? Or how when it came time to close on the property and we're again scrambling to try to gather the resources to be able to have enough resources to close and so we come to the close that day and, and the owner of the property voluntarily offers to pay $20,000 in taxes and survey fees that are due. And the realtor voluntarily offers to give $1,000 of his commission towards the closing. And so we, we closed that day. And after the close, we went back and checked our account, say, how much money do we have in our account? We had $21 left after that closing. And I have my, have my own personal testimony because I remember back in the early days when... We would have prayer meetings and we would meet in the church office at 6 a.m. on a Friday morning and, and we would pray for God to provide and, and for him to provide land and for us to be able to have a church home. And, and in those very early days when this process was underway, I remember I was leaving one Friday morning on my way to work and I was just really 
feeling like, God, how can we ever do this? Lord, this is just so, so much bigger than we seem to be able to do. I mean, we, we can't even scrape together enough little money to begin to, to put an offer on the land at this point. I said, this just seems impossible for us to be able to do. And I remember exactly where I was. I was on Argonne Drive between Rock Raven and the Alameda on my way downtown. And it wasn't that God spoke to me in words, but just something miraculously happened in my heart. And I went in one minute from questioning and thinking this was impossible, and maybe it's a gift of faith, I don't know, but all of a sudden I knew, I just knew that God was going to do this. And since that moment, I have not ever one moment doubted that God would finish this building, we would be here, and we would complete this work, that God was going to do that. Or we could talk about the perks, the perk test. You know, you might, you might think it's maybe not the wisest to buy a piece of land before you've perked it to see if you can build on it. But be that as it may, we kind of did that. Um, and everybody told us this land would never perk. You're not going to be able to build there. It's not going to perk. And there had actually been another church who had considered buying this property and tried to perk the land, and it didn't perk, and so they backed off on it. And so when the day came for us to do the perk test, and we were obviously looking towards that day with much anticipation, and they came out and they did 12 tests across this property. Every one of them perked successfully. And, uh, you know, I, the engine, the person who did the perk test, I don't know what he was, engineer, uh, he actually made a comment and said, you know, it's almost like you brought in different soil than what was here before. And then there was the water, you know. The water was a big issue in the opposition that we experienced from the community about our even being here. Because Kingsville really has a water problem. There are many stories of people who've had to drill other wells because their wells dried up. And they were really concerned that a facility this size coming into this community was going to do damage to people's wells. And so they really opposed us on the basis of that as well as some other reasons. And so, you know, if you lived in Kingsville, if you got maybe seven or eight gallons a minute out of your well, you were doing really good. And so when the day came that they drilled the well on this property, there were a lot of interested parties present. Uh, and so when they drilled the well and they did the flow test, Greg tells the story of how the guy called him on the phone and there was a lot of noise in the background so he couldn't really hear real clear and he was trying to tell him how what the flow was. He said, you got, you got, and Greg said, what did you say, 15 gallons? And he said, no, you got 50 gallons per minute. I mean, that was unheard of in this community. And there's never been an issue in all the years we've been here with anybody ever raising a complaint about how we've affected anybody's well. I mean, and I could go on and tell you more of these stories, but, but these are the testimonies. They're testimonies of the faithfulness of God in every situation to bring us to where we are today. And these testimonies that are important, they are our evidence that this is God's work 
and not man's. And as we approach the end of this long road of finally paying off this facility, we must must keep these testimonies in mind because they are what help us see with eyes of faith when we come to yet one more final above and beyond campaign. And so just like David made a point to remind the Israelites of the testimonies God had given them regarding the building of the temple, we must see and remember the testimonies God has given us. Because that's how we see with eyes of faith. Faith that sees that this building project is God's work and not man's idea. The second thing we see in this passage is that faith sees God's resources and not our own. Look again at verses 10 through 16 as David prays after everyone has given graciously and willingly. It says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house, for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. See, David's prayer helps us see what eyes of faith look like when it comes to giving. See, David understands that everything belongs to God. It's all his, and he distributes it any way he desires. Anything and everything we have is purely by his grace and kindness. All riches and honor come from him. His resources are unlimited. And we are his people and his servants, and we are to use his resources in a way that honors his purposes. And he not only provides for our needs to live, but he gives us resources that we're to use to further his purposes. The Apostle Paul tells us that in 2 Corinthians 9, 10 and 11. He says this, he says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Paul says here that God gives you resources for two 
purposes. He gives you bread for food, resources to take care and provide for your needs, and seed for sowing. Seed that resources that you are to invest in his purposes and work. And he goes on to say that as you are faithful in sowing the seed that he gives you to do that with, then he's going to give you more of that to do that with. And so that you will increase the reward of your righteousness on the day that he rewards you for your faithfulness to him. And he says he'll enable you to be generous in every way. Because he's the one who owns it all and provides everything. You see, God gives us resources to provide for our needs. He does. But he also gives us resources for sowing. So that we can, through giving, participate in what he's doing. And David understood that it was God who had provided all that he would have these Israelites give to the building of this temple in that moment. And David is amazed at God's gracious provision for this work. And he reflects on how they are not a great people, but God has blessed them and been gracious to them. And God has provided for them so they can now give to the building of this temple. And you know, when I look back over the 30 years of this process we've been in from the beginning, I am amazed at our story as well. Because we are, we're not a big church. We're not a wealthy church. I mean, we don't have any uh, Bashadis, who is the owner of the Ravens, attending here. We don't have David Rubenstein, who's the billionaire new owner of the Orioles. We don't have any million-dollar athletes that go to this church. I mean, we're basically just a group of ordinary, middle-class people working jobs, trying to raise a family, trying to make it work. And yet here we are in this facility, on this property, almost about to finish paying it off. And I went back, and I was curious not long ago, and I said, I just wonder how much have people given over these 30 years to this, just to this building project. And so I went back, and I, I tried to kind of calculate as best I could from the very beginning, you know, and all that has been given by people and who are part of this church over those years. And I probably missed some things, but my best estimate that I can come up with is somewhere between six and a half and seven million dollars have been given just for this building. I mean, that's, that's amazing considering who, this, who we are. And we are now at a place where there's about 258,000 left to finish that. I mean, who would ever thought that that would be possible? You see, eyes of faith see that God gives us resources, not just to meet our needs and fulfill our personal desires, but to accomplish his purposes as well. Eyes of faith trust God to provide for the future as we step out in faith and respond to his call to give, whether it's this or something else. Eyes of faith trust God to provide what he would ask us to give, 
Whether it's a decision to step out in faith and begin to tithe on your income, or whether it's to make a pledge or give to the Above and Beyond campaign, or whether it's something else He may call you to give to. God is honored and pleased when we trust Him as the one who will provide all that we need for what He asks us to do. See, faith sees God's unlimited resources and doesn't rely on only what we think we can do. And you know, this is really a recurring theme throughout the Bible. God was regularly challenging Israel to trust in His resources and not their own. I mean, one of the places we would see that really clearly is in the story of Gideon. You know, in Gideon's day, the Midianites and the Amalekites would surge into Israel periodically with this vast army, and they would literally savage and ravage the nation. They would take their livestock and their crops, and they would leave them destitute. And it was so bad that the Israelites kind of cried out to God and cried out for him to please rescue them from this oppression. And so God hears their cries for help. And the angel of the Lord comes down to a guy named Gideon and says, Gideon, I'm going to use you to rescue Israel and deliver them from the Midianites. And Gideon kind of looks around and says, you me? There must be some mistake. I'm just a nobody, and my family is just a family of nobodies. You must have the wrong person. And God says, no, I'm, I'm going to use you. And so Gideon has to have his own testimonies that God gives him as they interact together until he comes to a place where he has faith to believe what God is saying. And when he does, it says the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and 32,000 men rally to Gideon's side. And so maybe Gideon's looking around at that point thinking, okay, 32,000 men, maybe we got a chance here to do this. And then we come to Judges 7, 1 and 2, where it says, then Jerubiel, that is Gideon, And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Mori in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. So God says, Nah, this 32,000 people... I don't think so. Because if I give you the victory with these 32,000 men, you're going to be tempted to think that you did this in your own resources. And so God takes him through a process of winnowing down that 32,000 until there's only 300 left. And God uses Gideon and those 300 people to defeat an army of over 135,000 Midianites and Amalekites. You see, God wanted to teach Israel to rely on his resources and not just their own. And God wants to do the same thing in this church family. 
He wants to teach us to rely on his resources and his provision as we seek to finish out the final season of this building project. He wants to accomplish that work through us, just as it was through Gideon that he delivered Israel from the Midianites. But he wants this to be a work of faith on our part, just as it was for Gideon just as it was for David and the Israelites in building the temple, so that with eyes of faith we might trust him to provide for all that he would want us to give now until this work is finished, and for however he may call us to give in other ways, whether now or in the future. And then the third and final thing we want to look at in this passage is that faith sees God as a greater treasure than money and possessions. Let's go back to verse 9 and look at that again. And verse 9 says, Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. And now let's drop down to verses 17 and 18 where David is in the closing words of his prayer. And he says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, Keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. So in these verses, we see how David and these people, they gave with their whole heart, it says. They were not reluctant or resistant. They gave willingly and joyfully. See, there was something more important to them than clinging to their money and possessions. They gave with a joyful heart because they treasured God more than money and material things. And their eyes of faith led them to value God and all that he was to them far more than what money and possessions might gain for them. You see, you you can't have both God and material possessions as the thing you love the most in your life. You will always trust and hope in one or the other. One will always be more precious to you. And you can't give with a whole heart if your heart has been captured by money and material things. I mean, Jesus himself tells us that in those well-known words in Matthew 6, 19 through 21 and 24, where he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then in verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You see, what you do with your money and possessions, it it reveals where your heart is. It reveals what you love, what you treasure the most. What you invest your resources in will always reveal what you treasure the most. And so if you feel like your walk with the Lord is not what you would like it to be, if you feel like your love for God and His church is not where you would like it to be, I mean, maybe you should evaluate what you're investing your life into. Because your time, your energy, your resources, because what you invest in will identify what you treasure in life. And as Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. That's what you will love the most. That's the master you are choosing to serve. And so this attitude of joyful, wholehearted giving that treasures God more than money and possessions, that requires seeing life with eyes of faith. This willing, joyful giving with eyes of faith that we see in these Israelites as they give to the building of the temple. And it's not something just for them in that moment. David, in his prayer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, brings that charge 3,000 years across time to us in Grace Community Church sitting here or listening in today. We see it in verse 18. He says, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. He says, keep this forever in the hearts of your people. See, that's God's desire for all his people for all time. You know, I, I, I easily recall my own sort of personal journey of wrestling through these kinds of issues. I mean, I remember when shortly after I got saved and I began to learn more about what the Bible was teaching and I began to see that God was calling me to, to give to support my local church, this church. Um, But Margaret and I had just got married and we had both brought a lot of debt into that marriage and we didn't have any savings and she had stopped working and had been laid off and we we weren't in the greatest financial situation. I really was wrestling with kind of this decision. Would I begin, I felt like God was convicting me to begin to tithe, to give 10% of my income. And I was really struggling with that. And so I remember I was reading through all these real promises about what God would do if you're faithful to honor him with your finances, how he's going to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you. And so finally I said, yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, God will take care of me if I give to him. And so I said, I'm going to do this. So I stepped out and started, wrote that first tithe check. And about a week later, the engine in my car went up. It was $2,200, and believe me, $2,200 in the early mid or the mid-80s was not, felt a lot more than $2,200 today. 
And I remember that this really shook me. It just shook my faith. And I, I remember saying to God, Lord, I thought you said that if I did this, you would protect me. You'd kind of keep the locusts from devouring me and you would bless me. And, and I had to really wrestle through, why was I doing this? Was I doing it for me? Because I wanted, I trusted that God would give me something back. Or was I really doing it to honor and trust him? And I had to wrestle through that. And I decided, no, I'm, I'm going to trust you, God. And I, so I, I just made that commitment. And, and that was the beginning of a commitment that I've kept all my life. And then we came to the first building campaign. And we had just bought a small town home as our first home. And this is in the days when mortgages were 10% or more interest rates. Margaret, again, had stopped working as we'd recently had our first child. <clears throat> so we were making it, but not by a lot. And once again, I was faithful. What, what would I see in that moment? Circumstances that would say to me, I, I can't do this. Or would I see with eyes of faith that trusts God and his provision? And every time we would come to a new pledge time for the building campaign in those earlier years, there was a sense that we had to wrestle through these issues again. Because my first response was almost always, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. You know, I could feel the pull of my selfishness and my desire for security and comfort in my finances. So each time I had to wrestle with my heart as to what my eyes would focus on. Will I see with eyes that focus on my circumstances and what it seems like I can or can't do? Or will I see with eyes of faith that trust in a big God who can do far more than I can even think or imagine. And so as I look back 38 years later, as I wrestled through those things in those years, you know, there's not one day in my life that I've ever regretted those decisions. God has been faithful in more ways than I could ever begin to tell you. He has provided for us, protected us, watched over us, kept us, and he has blessed us in countless ways. And those would just be the things that I know about. I can't even imagine the ones that I don't. And I know that there are many of you sitting in here today, you would give a similar testimony of God's faithfulness in this area in your life. You see, how we respond to God's call to give, it, it reveals our heart. What we trust and rely on to provide for us and keep us secure. And our heart's response reveals what we see with our spiritual eyes. And so if I am to give generously and joyfully when these kinds of moments come, I must see in those times with eyes of faith. Because a heart that gives with joy requires eyes that see with faith. If I could have the worship team come and join me. So for those of us who are part of this church family, if you're a guest here, I appreciate you being here. This is really directed to those who will call Grace Community their church home. But if our building this facility here on this location in this community, if this is God's work, 
if it's something that he's called us to accomplish as a church, and if he's brought you here to be a part of this church family, it's likely he has a part for you to play as we seek to bring to a close this 30-year journey. He has a part for you to play as we finish this work. What that part is, you'll have to find that out from him. And so if you would consider this your church home, I want to simply ask you to seek God this week on what that part is if he hasn't already made that clear to you. I mean, what would God have you give to the Above and Beyond campaign over this next year? And because our desire is that for each one who's a part of this church family, our heart is for you to hear from God as to what he would have you do. I can't tell you that. The pastors can't tell you that. I want God to tell you that. And then for you to simply entrust and faith step out and obey, whatever that might be. Maybe it's a little. Maybe it's a lot. And so next Sunday is our Pledge Sunday, and that's the day we ask everyone to come, hopefully having sought God and heard from him as to how he would have you participate in this year's campaign so that you can come and turn in your pledge if you're going to make a pledge or begin your giving for this next and final campaign year. And if we all do that, I have no doubt that God will provide everything that's needed to complete the work to paying off the mortgage on this facility. So the question that I want to leave you with as you consider this throughout this coming week is this. When you look at the area of giving, what do your eyes see? Do they see only your circumstances and reasons why you can't or won't give? Or will you see with eyes that see with faith? Faith that sees God's work and not man's. Faith that sees God's unlimited resources and not just your own. Faith that sees God as a greater treasure than money and possessions. Because if you're going to come next Sunday giving joyfully with a whole heart, and that's what I would want you to be able to do, a heart that gives with joy requires eyes that see with faith.